Amen, amen. How are we all doing this morning? I wanted to highlight that because, you know, we've been in um, sort of emphasizing missions uh, in this last uh, season here. So as you know, I'm, I'm intending to go to Pakistan for our PAC 100 initiative. Now, my visa is still a little sketchy. It's a bit up in the air. Uh, I got one little hurdle to get through here and we should be able to go. It, it's going to be a little longer trip than I anticipated it to be. But as I was reading through the gospel of Mark the other day, I came across Mark 14 and verse 9. And that phrase about how the gospel will be preached in all the nations jumped off the page to me. We're living in such a moment in the world. I mean, Jesus is coming, and his gospel is going to be preached in this world. And I'm grateful to be part of that. So that's what our PAC 100 initiative is. We're going to sow the largest seed we've ever sown to see souls saved. Pakistan, Iran, as you read about, these are very fertile regions where people are coming to the Lord. And I want to be part of that. I want to help hasten the Lord's return. Amen? Amen. All right. Galatians chapter 5, and I am uh, in this series called Ties That Bind. And, you know, this is one of my favorite topics, which would be on the subject of relationships. Now, relationships, I, I describe them as like little knots of a net. And if you know how to make them work, then you can catch some fish. You, you can rope in the right people in your life. Uh, and if you don't know how to make them work, you get holes in that net and, and things just kind of go haywire. So relationship building is the skill that so many people neglect. And it, yet it's such a biblical thing. It's right in the centerpiece of how the Bible is applied to your life. And I want to read verses here uh, in Galatians 5, verse 22. You know this verse. This deals with the fruit of the Spirit, which he said is love. We talked about that last week. Joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And against such, he said, there is no law. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the fruit of the Holy Spirit. I pray that it would thrive and grow in this church. We pray it would be cultivated. And I thank you for fertilized hearts, watered with the Holy Spirit, ready to receive the word of God. I pray for a church filled with people who are full of fruit, burdened fruit wherever they go, blossoming in the name of Jesus. Budding fruit, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen and amen. Mm. You know, uh, it's a funny thing with people. Sometimes you can see fruit in someone's life so easily. You perceive them as being gentle. You saw an act of kindness they did. You think of them as like, you know, man, what a, what a great person. They're, they're, they know the Lord so much. But um, sometimes it's harder, though, to see spiritual fruit uh, the closer you are to that person. You end up kind of taking it for granted. You know, you, you, you get used to their voice in your life. You don't listen as much anymore. Such is the way it was with my mother, you know, because, you know, I, I was like this rebellious teenager you've heard me talk about often. And on more than one occasion, I did come home intoxicated. And uh, my mom, to her credit, didn't yell at me. You know, uh, she, she was able to just kind of take it in and restrain herself. And I've never forgot that. It's, it's like, she, she sat there, she'd talk to me, she'd engage me, she'd ask questions, she would listen to me. And even as a teenager, I was fully aware how mom and dad felt about my behavior. Uh, I, I didn't grow up in a home that way. They would, you know, tell me they didn't believe in that. But they, they, my mom did a great job of just loving me, asking those questions. And what I remembered was her sense of self-control. Self-control. Someone say self-control. I'm going to get back to that word, that last fruit of the Spirit here in a minute. But I read the verses just to illustrate to you that spiritual fruit 
you see evidenced in relationships. It's manifested, it's demonstrated. You see the way it works when you engage with people. I mean, that's what love is, right? Love is a spiritual fruit. And when people see that, they can sense it, they can touch it, you know, and, and joy is that way. It's effusive. It's, it's what makes people want to be around you, and uh, they enjoy peaceful people. Patience is certainly that way. I mean, patience is a real relational ability. Gentleness, kindness, you know, these are all ways that, that it works in your life. And what's interesting, if you jump back up just a few verses to Galatians 5.20, when he talked about the lust of the flesh, he, he mentioned some things like anger and outbursts of wrath that deal with relational challenges. So he's just letting us know here that when it comes to bearing fruit in your life, these are relational skills. That's kind of what we've been building in this series. You know, the the most spiritual people I know are loving people. They know how to forgive. They're gracious. They're merciful. I am so grateful to see that lived out in my home when I grew up because I saw that it was real. And when I think about this fruit that's born in in relationships, man, it, it, it is some of the essence of Scripture. Paul, in 1 Corinthians 9, and when he wrote the Corinthian church, he said, you are my fruit. He said, you're my seal in the ministry. And so I've heard it said that, you know, ministry flows through relationships. Well, business flows through relationships, too. You work with people that you know. Teaching works that way in school settings. In any capacity, that fruit that people see and the relational side of things, man, it brings people together. And we live in a time now when it's like, you know, because of the fractured nature of society, families breaking apart, and then you've got technology and social media and the advent of these things, it's almost like people just have a hard time making relationships work effectively in their life. And yet that is at the center of of how you're supposed to live your life as a Christian. Uh, What was so interesting was watching the Super Bowl last week, and the number two rated ad was the ad put out by the Hobby Lobby group, these are the ones that, you know, built the Museum of the Bible. I was just there in Washington, D.C. And the whole point of the ad was people yelling at each other, and it said Jesus loved people that he disagreed with. And that's a message you got to hear in today's culture. That was the number two ad in the Super Bowl because so many people understand the moment that we're in in the world. They can see, you know, the, 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 the lack of fruit, the lack of love in people's lives. Now, the, la- the last fruit that I highlighted there is the fruit of self-control, which is the one I want to bear down on. Uh, Self-control is what I describe as like a sweetener in your relationships. And I want to just teach you how self-control helps sweeten things. And, you know, if you like coffee, sometimes people like it black. I've discovered that I like black coffee. Some people like it with sugar. One lumps, two lumps, three lumps. I don't put sugar in my coffee, but it's just not that I don't like it sweet because I like my coffee with chocolate donuts. Come on, somebody. Chocolate, chocolate in that donut. So I guess I do like some sweetener, even that bitter. (laughs) So I'm just going to teach you how self-control is a sweetener in your relationship. If you had self-control, you might not be out there screaming and yelling at people in Super Bowl ads, right? So I want to work my way down and start in verse 25. As I was reading about self-control, I just couldn't help but notice a few verses that help describe it. Look at verse 25. He said, if we live in the Spirit, Let's walk in the Spirit, which means to keep step with the Holy Spirit. Stay in touch with Him. Stay in fellowship with Him. He said, let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. This is an interesting verse to me. It always has been, particularly the placement of the verse. 
What I notice in this verse as it relates to self-control, here, here's the first lump of sugar we're putting on your black coffee this morning. Self-control is something that suppresses the ginormous ego that you have. He uses these interesting words like conceit. Uh, you know, I like what the old translation says. It calls it vainglorious. Uh, it, it, it's your sense of uh, arrogance and pride and that sense of self-importance that you walk around with. And it's actually opposite to what the Bible teaches. Paul said in Philippians chapter 2, to let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. It's the opposite attitude of what Jesus had when, when he emptied himself and walked in humility. You know, pride might actually be the biggest problem you're facing. That's the reason why you get lost, because you didn't have enough pride to ask for directions, or you didn't have enough humility. <laughs> pride might be at the root of your relational problem, because it could be the reason uh, why you refuse to see your, your part in the problem, and, and can't say, I'm sorry, and I was wrong. And, and I've noticed this happens with a lot of people. This verse is so interesting to me. I mean, the placement of it. You just read about the fruit of the Spirit, and then in this 26th verse, he tells you not to become conceited. And it's like uh, grammatically segued. It's positioned there to segue uh, a, a train of thought. It's, it's sort of this introspective idea uh, towards others because what it's telling us is some people's treatment of other people is determined by their own opinion of themselves. And apparently the Galatians were preoccupied with their own popularity. I mean, you know, it's like I've met people who sometimes they, they want to demonstrate fruit just to kind of show it off. And what Paul's saying is, settle down a little bit here. Uh, and he puts this right here. He, he says three interesting words. He says, conceited, he says, provoking, and he says, envying one another. <clears throat> you know, conceit means boasting, braggadociousness, like you're talking about yourself. And <laughs> it is a fun thing being in spirit-filled circles for so long. I have found something that people never address is that sometimes the most prideful people are the most super spiritual, have the most super spiritual attitudes. Because I've met people like this. They want to let you know how spiritual they are. Like I knew one guy, and he could tell you the exact outfit that his angel was wearing. Sun, Ray-Ban sunglasses, a kilt, samurai sword. And I mean, that's great, but I'm just, I was like, oh man, that's, you know, what he's trying to communicate is I'm spiritual. I know things you don't know. Yeah. Or the other word, and I, I've seen this play out, man. I remember a guy I, I met, he told me that revival could now come to Billings because they had tearn, torn down the principalities that were over Lockwood and the Heights. That was about 25 years ago. And when people start charging into principalities that they want to tear down, I just would caution you with that. may not be the wisest approach. And, and we've got movements in the church today where people can prophesy things, and when they miss it, they take no accountability for it, no responsibility. And it's one thing to miss it. I can understand that. I missed it. Probably you've missed it. But when you refuse to accept your failure or part in it, that's pride. And what he's addressing here is this conceited attitude that people get caught up with. Self-control is what curbs that. He, he said the word provoking one another, which means challenging. You ever met somebody like that? Like they always had to be right. Had to have the answer for something. They had to make sure that you knew that they knew exactly how something should work out. I mean, I met preachers like that. They, they, they cannot simply say, you know, that is a good question. I don't know. 
Sometimes the best answer you have is, I don't know. But when there's always this provoking to prove a point, you get in trouble. Because that's where pride gets you. Pride gets you in a place where you are caught up with your own selfishness. Really what pride is, is it's the need to prove yourself. This is where people get in all kinds of trouble. The need to prove themselves, justify themselves, so they get provocative and they challenge and they push back. And then he mentions here the word envy, envying one another, which is a way of saying jealousy. It's funny, man. This happens to Christians. This happens to pastors. This happens in churches. This happens in denominations. I am enjoying watching the Asbury Revival take place. You all see that? I mean, it was on the national news. And they're, they're having uh, just a church service that started last Sunday in Kentucky. People are just at the altars praying. Everyone's coming from all the way around. And, and I mean, I think it's the most wonderful thing in the world. It just started out of the blue. It tells me people in America are hungry. I think I just got through saying that last week, that God hadn't given up on America. Yeah, yeah. But it is funny to watch some of the responses people have towards it. Like I heard one guy say, oh, God is not in that move. They've got women on the pulpit singing, preaching. You can't have that in a move of God. Really. I I heard other people say they weren't using the King James Bible. God can't be in this. (laughs) I'm just telling you that God has a remarkable way of moving. And people get tempted to get jealous about that because it's not something they experience. And so they become experts all of a sudden. When God starts doing something outside their box, they get a little uncomfortable. And I read a great book recently on jealousy. It was called Jealousy, the sin that everyone has but no one will talk about. And I'll tell you what it did was help set me free of my own insecurities and jealousy to other people. Because a lot of times I might look at the gifting or the skill set that somebody else has, and I start thinking, man, I wish I had that. I wish I could operate that way. I wish this would happen like that in my life. But chances are that same person could look at you and say, I'm jealous about that in your life. It's like the grass isn't always greener on the other side of the fence. That, that, that there's some things that God has blessed you with and some things God has blessed other people with, and you need to have the maturity and the humility to appreciate what someone else might bring to the table. You don't have to be conceited. You don't have to be boastful. You don't have to have envy of what God has given to someone else. Appreciate them. Appreciate their diversity. That's what self-control will do. It'll help you just reel in that ego of yours, and it'll help you humble yourself and appreciate what somebody else has what God's doing somewhere else. It's a great, great measure of fruit. It's a a great thing to have. Uh, I'm always amazed at how people will boast uh, about things in their life. Proverbs 25 says that a man who falsely boasts of his gifting is like a cloud that has no water. And what I have found is I don't always have to have the, the right thing to say in the moment. I don't always have to be the most spiritual person in the room. I don't always have to have the word of the Lord and be Johnny Unction on the spot. What I have to have is love operating in my life. People are not going to really remember what you might have said to them, but they will remember how you made them feel. And that is love and operation. I, I, I can be in a place where I don't always have to know something, but I can love somebody. I can bless someone. And when I feel insecurity rising or my need to prove myself coming up, which happens a whole lot more than you might think, Self-control kicks in and helps me just kind of calm down so I can be a blessing to somebody else. Let me give you another lump of sugar in this uh, coffee cup of ours. I'm I'm in chapter 6, verse number 1. This is another one of these 
when I read the verse, every time I come to it, it's something that is intriguing to me. He said, if a man is overtaken, somebody say overtaken. If he's overtaken in any trespass, which is a, a sin, he said, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Now, let's talk about lump number two in the sugar pot here. Uh, Self-control suppresses sin, sinful desires. That's called the carnal nature. It's the fleshly lusts that we struggle with. And the interesting thing here about this word overtaken is it's the idea that the sin you're struggling with is not a habitual sin. It's, a, it's kind of a one-and-done thing. It's a, it's, a, it's a one-off. It's something that happened because you were tempted. And I've seen the verse twisted, man. I, I've seen people justify restoring people uh, without ever considering that the sin they might have had is habitual. If it's a habitual sin, you know, you're going to have to really focus to get through that. But when it's one of these things that happens in a moment, that, that is something that Scripture is saying right here, self-control can help you keep that under check. It can help you walk through it. You know, temptations happen. They happen to everybody. Every person struggles in moments in life. This happened to Jesus. That's, that's the book of Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. He was tempted like you and I are, but without sin. Temptations are real. They exist everywhere. And there's any number of them. I mean, there's the sexual temptation. And you know, I, I think really at the root of that is also pride. It's that need for recognition and approval. And it, it's like so rampant in the culture. There's the need to lie or cheat or steal, uh, maybe to gamble. I just tell you, don't bet on the Broncos. That's my advice on that. They said now with uh, sports betting becoming so prevalent, that's becoming a huge problem for people. They're, they're betting so much, and, and you can see certain demographics that are in serious trouble with it because it's becoming legalized in different states. You might be tempted to yell at your wife. Self-control is a nice way to calm that down. And spiritual people are people who it says know how to restore people in gentleness. I like the spiritual people. They're loving, they're gracious, they're forgiving. They have the wisdom to understand how to approach a situation and help someone walk through it. They can help people even get restored. I think about what self-control will do. The fruit of self-control is something in your life that helps overcome temptation. It's one of those things that helps you have restraint. You know what restraint is? It's your ability to say no to yourself. It's the ability to say, I'm not going to engage in this. I don't have to do that. I think about in the Bible, Eli with his two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, and it says he never restrained them. They were sleeping with women, and they were taking offerings and using it for their own good. They had no accountability. They were doing that there in the temple. They lacked the fear of God. There was no restraint right there. There's even entire denominations that, that are out of the country, very popular, well-known denominations, you'd know it if I said it, who are just undergoing this whole thing right now because at the leadership level of that denomination, there was no restraint. It was like it was a free-for-all, and now it's like against the ropes. You're talking to terrible stuff taking place because the restraint was lacking. You know, it's the ability to control those emotions, keep them in check, 
make rational decisions. Restraint can say no when it's pressured. Self-control would be the ability to consider the consequences of your actions. What will happen if I do this? The cause and effect of a thing. And I, I, I tell you, I had something so interesting happen to me last Sunday. I, had, I hadn't had this happen quite like this. I had got up at the pulpit, and I started sharing about a testimony I had in, in D.C. I was just in Washington, D.C., and in the hotel room I was at, they had a safe with chilled drinks. And for me, that was a temptation. And I was talking about how God delivered me as a kid. I started feeling very emotional. It was like I went back in time to the moment where the Lord delivered me. That and I heard my mother saying, amen, amen. And it made me, made me even feel even more, you know, like my mom was praying for me. <laughs> but as tempted as I was, I knew if I had one drink, it would lead to another drink. And I thought, I don't want to get going on that route. I, I, I haven't had a drink since May 16, 1998. And by the grace of God, I'm going to continue. Amen. That may not be the thing you struggle with. That was the thing I was struggling with. But I, I just remember that, that sense of self-control kicked in. I thought, how would I explain that to people? Right. Uh, you know, it, it's no different than people who struggle with having an affair. How are you going to explain to your children why you had a divorce and cost them a family? How can you explain a bankruptcy to a family because you cheated on the IRS? Those are consequences that help keep that sinful desire in check. It's, it's a fruit of the Spirit. It's called self-control. I think it's the most neglected fruit that there is. I mean, we, we live in this culture which self-control is, is, is just like out of people's minds. Self-control is, is something that is like not based in my own strength. It's really based in my weakness. When I'm weak, that's when he's strong. And what I have found is when I need his help the most, when I'm in a battle and I say, Lord, help me, grace kicks in. And grace is that restraining force that helps you to say no. I am grateful for the grace of God. Dare go I, someone said, except for the grace of God. Grace is greater than all our sin. You know what grace really is? is it's God's ability to keep you from sin. Titus 2.11, the grace of God has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts and drinks in hotel rooms. We can live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. He's just saying that when you need his grace, he's there to help you when you don't know what to do. And I like what Jude said, Jude 24. He is able to keep you faultless and present you before the Lord. He can keep you from stumbling. Think about how great that grace is. He can take sinful, fallen creatures like you and me, and yet through his grace, we can be presented righteous in his sight. Ooh, there's something about that. But you'll never have it without self-control. If the fruit of self-control hadn't taken root in your heart, you can veer off into all kinds of directions. I am grateful for the grace of God that helps me sustains me, keeps me in moments when I'm weak, in moments when I don't feel like doing things, in times when I get frustrated, in situations where I don't have answers for things. The grace of God kicks in through self-control. Mm. It quenches those sinful desires. Self-control, man. All right, let me give you another thought here. I'm in uh, verse number nine. Jump down to Galatians 6, 9. Here we go. Let us not... Grow weary 
while doing good. For in due season, someone say due season. Due season will reap if we do not lose heart. Mm. You got to, self-control is what helps you from not losing heart. He said, therefore, as we have opportunity, let's do good to all, especially those who are of the household of faith. So here's the thing I'd say about self-control, number three. Self-control is the thing that strengthens your resolve. It, you're, that word resolve is, a, is the word, it means steadfast. Uh, it has to do with your willpower. It has to do with being intentional in your life. And over and over, the scriptures are going to talk about steadfastness. I mean, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, to be immovable, steadfast, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Uh, Peter wrote about it. 1 Peter 5, verse 8, your adversary, the devil, is walking around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith. Yeah. And Peter said it again, 2 Peter 3, 17, he said, I don't want you to be removed from your own steadfastness. Hang in there and grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord. And Paul said the same thing in 2 Thessalonians 3.13 that he said right here. Do not grow weary in well-doing. And what he's telling us here is don't give up. Don't ever give up on what you're believing God for. Stick with it. Stay focused. And that is where self-control comes in. It helps you stay on track. These are great verses. Don't grow weary in well-doing. Because due season's coming. If you want to be fruitful in your life, if you want to be fruitful in your relationships, you're going to have to have the fruit of self-control, which is, is like the way that resolve works. It, it, one of the ways is through commitments. I'm committed to things. That, that's a character trait. I am committed to my wife. Now, we, we've had our moments. We've talked, you know, we've been in arguments, and we decided, as I've told you before, that divorce is never an option. Murder, maybe, but not divorce. <laughs> I'm committed to Elizabeth. And I often remind her, it's for better or worse. <laughs> I'm, committed. I'm committed to my children. Uh, I, I want to see them grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord. I'm trying to be intentional about putting them as the first priority in my life. I think if you wanted to impact culture, you should just raise godly children. So I, I'm working like, hey, these are my children. I, I want them to grow. I'm committed to my church. I'm committed to you all. As long as you're here, you're stuck with us. <laughs> By the way, we got the Next Steps class coming up here in a few weeks, and that's just a class that kind of highlights who we are, what we're about. We'd love to have you join us. It would be the honor of my life to be your pastor, because, you know, I, I'm, I'm a great pastor, and I am super happy with my wife, and we've got financial accountability. I'm not going to be running off on somebody and spending money frivolously. I mean, listen, we got a great thing going. Uh, I'd love to have you join up for that if you haven't been through that yet, man. Uh, I'm committed to you. The pastor is married to the church, for better or for worse, someone said. Yeah. I'm committed. Never give up. Yeah. He, he said, uh, don't grow weary in well-doing. What's, what does that mean, not grow weary? You, the reason why you shouldn't grow weary is because of what it said in the preceding verses. Because you know due season's coming. Yeah. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, he's going to reap. I'm just reading the verses ahead. If you sow of the flesh, you're going to reap all kinds of arguments in your life. You're going to reap frustrations. You're going to reap bankruptcies. You're going to reap, you know, horrible situations. 
But I can go to people's at homes, and you can kind of feel the atmosphere if there's love in the house or if there's conflict. It's no different than being in the casino on a fast. You can kind of sense what that home life is like. And then he said, if you sow the Spirit, you'll reap love, joy, peace, patience. And I like what Jesus said, Luke 6, 38. He said, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, will men put into your bosom? Will someone else? People will sow back to you. If you've sown something, it'll come back to you a hundredfold. It'll come back into your life. When you sow love, you'll receive love. The reason why people get in so much problems is because they have not been sowing the right seeds. I'm just teaching you what the Bible said. You may not want to hear it, but that is exactly what Scripture teaches. If you sow love, you'll reap love. If you sow anger, malice, frustrations, that's what you're going to sow. And that, but if you understand that principle, if you understand that I sow it and I'll reap it, you don't want to give up because I like what verse 10 says. It said, as you have opportunity. This is what people who are spiritual understand. This is why you should have resolve. Resolve understands there's always going to be an opportunity for you to do good. He said you could do good to all. Do good to everybody. There's that opportunity around the corner. Now, I want to brag on my son. He, he won at school the kindness award. Yeah. And he, he told me what happened. He said that he's a kid in his class, and the, and the, and the guy has like a, doesn't have a foot. He's got, a, he's got like a brace he walks on, and it fell off. He heard, he heard the kid fall in the hallway. He dropped his bags. He went back there. He picked him up. The teacher was looking, where is Titus at? And she looked out, and there he was holding the kid, bringing him down the hallway. Yeah, I was proud of him. Yeah, I was like, man, that's great. So do good to all. And I reminded him, especially to those of the household of faith, that would be your sisters. So, you know, the other night we were there with the littlest one, and uh, he's, he's frustrated. He says, I'm sick of little sisters. I, I, I remember. Yeah. He was getting angry about it, and I said, Titus, do you think Abigail is a nuisance? And he said, she is a nuisance. And she jumped up and she said, yeah, I know things. <laughs> he didn't know. She didn't know what it meant. <laughs> My point would be, sometimes the hardest people to be the greatest to are the ones closest to you, right? You should always find a way to be good to the people of faith, the household of faith. You can find them across the world. They're in this church. They're everywhere. And when I'm around people that I know know the Lord and love the Lord, I want to be a blessing to them. Because I know good measure, pressed back, shaken together is coming to me, and I can be resolved about that. I can have self-control when I feel like slapping somebody. Because it's a fruit in my life. Man, I, I love that idea of steadfastness. Don't ever grow weary in well-doing because it will come back into your life. You're going to reap it. Yeah. I, I want to be disciplined. I want to be committed. The Bible says firm all the way to the end because I know that due season will come. Harvest time will come. That is the key to your breakthrough. It's that little that you do every day, little by little. It's that little 1% getting better every day, that is the key to a breakthrough. That will bring you through bondages and barriers in your life if you just stay with it and stay consistent. And if you've got self-control, you know, I can get through today. I can get through it right now. I, I can grow in my relationship here. Your breakthrough is a lot closer than you think it is. This is where a lot of people struggle. They don't think that the breakthrough is, is right there. They think of it as far off and they're tempted to give in. But I'm telling you, 
the more you press in, little by little, and you understand that every day is an opportunity, and I'm going to reap what I sow, and harvest always comes. Due season will come to me. Then you can persevere and break through. I got to brag about my mother, man. When I was that rebellious teenager, she, she was like putting Bible, Bibles in my pillowcases, anointing the bed with oil, praying all over. I had scripture verses everywhere. She never stopped. She'd say she'd pray for hours, hours, hours around the house because she'd tell me it's not an option for my son to go to hell. And, and it only took about two years, a year and a half, and, and I had come out of that thing. It changed my life forever. And I'm just telling you, man, don't ever stop praying for a loved one. Don't ever stop sowing that seed. That breakthrough is there if you'll stay on it. This is where a lot of people lack faith. They don't understand that, you know, it's so much of faith is just not giving in. Just just staying focused, holding on to God's promises, believing that he's going to come through. That answer is right around the corner. And I'm telling you, the answer you need is so much closer than you think it is. All it takes is understanding the seeds to sow. Seeds of love, joy, peace, patience, seeds of the word of God, praying over your children. You watch what happens. You watch how God fixes things and turns things around. He'll fix relationships. He'll work in your life. Let me ask you about just how sweet your relationships are. Because they might be bitter. I mean, you might be drinking some bitter coffee this morning. And you need some sugar in there. Well, let me ask you this. Is pride the thing in the way? Because what pride does is what stops you from saying, I'm sorry and I was wrong. You know, it's even worse than that is when people don't even see their part in it. This is the greatest challenge when it comes to working with people. You may not even see the thing that you're doing and don't want to address it. It's a communication breakup. You know, I'm reading a great book. I'm going to talk about this next week. I'm going to talk about how to have effective communication. Because when, when you can communicate effectively, Man, it takes so much edge off the conversation. And so much of it is being self-aware enough to know that I might be in the wrong here. And that ability to just kind of take a measured response at your heart, calm your emotions, that's called self-control. That's relational intelligence. That's how you suppress pride. Just taking a step back, taking inventory of my own heart. I don't have to be conceited. I don't have to be provocative. I'm loved by God, and he will help me. So maybe pride's the thing that's in the way in that relationship. Maybe that's the reason it's not working. Maybe it has to do with a sin issue. It could be that there's pornography at play, hidden sins. It could be a gambling issue. I've seen this happen with people that can't handle money. They'll lie about it, and then one thing blows up, and it's because there's sin at work. And all you got to do with that sin is expose it in the light. You would be so much better to just have it out in the light so that you could see what it was there. Then you would have tried to cover it up. That's what Adam and Eve did in the garden, right? They, they just tried to run away and cover their sin rather than let God deal with it. And if it's in the light, that's where he can expose things, man. That the light of God can shine in your circumstance and bring you an answer. So, I, I, you know, it's funny. I don't get threatened by sin issues. I have been pastoring long enough now I'm not surprised. I do appreciate my, my grandma. She's 99. Grandma said she's still shocked by sin. I like that. That's the attitude I should have. <laughs> it's just dealing with people. You, you know, we all go through these things. Maybe, you know, the, the struggle that you're faced with is just that you want to throw the towel in. Nah, I will give up, get frustrated, don't want to keep pressing it. I, I'm, I'm telling you, when it comes to working with people, it's hard to believe the best of people. 
But I know that if I sow the right seeds, it will come back to me. I know it. So I keep doing it. I keep loving. I keep forgiving. I keep extending grace. And I just want to pray for you. How many want your relationships to grow in the things of the Lord? You, want to, you don't want to be stuck where you're at in a marriage or friendships that you have or with your children. And I'm, I'm just addressing you know, this subject as a broad topic. Relationships are like the, they affect everybody. And it's like the culture we're in now, people don't know how to make them work all the time. So I, I want to have a church of people who know how to love each other and have healthy relating skills. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you. Wherever they're sitting at, if you're watching online, if you're here in the house, I pray, Lord, for your grace. I pray it would sustain us, get us through difficult seasons. I pray, Lord, for self-control, the fruit of self-control, to come alive. Hmm. Thank you, Lord, that we'd be a people that are rooted in it and growing in it. Thank you it's evident in our lives. Thank you that it's going to be a conscience to us so we can say no, so we can... Be secure in the things of the Lord. I, I pray, Lord, for that ability to see what's coming down the road and anticipate a consequence. I pray that would be real and realized this morning in people's hearts and minds. Father, I thank you for your great love for your people. I pray, Lord, that as we exercise it, it would grow. I, I do feel just led to tell someone that. Part of the reason why uh, you may not be experiencing some fruit it's because you haven't been exercising it. And the only way you exercise it is to engage with people. And I watch sometimes when people won't engage because they're worried about getting hurt. They just stay back. But the, the way to grow that fruit is to be engaged with people. You can't do life without them. It, it's just inevitable. There's a great verse in the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, verse 2, which says that Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the cross. Do you realize that his self-control, his ability to stay focused, his ability to have endurance is the thing that kept him in motion. It's the thing that kept him moving forward. Because he saw you, he hurt, he loved you. You were the joy that was set before him that allowed him to endure. That's what kept him to the cross. That's what gave him self-control. It was the thought of you. It was the love that he had for you. He gave everything he could to be with you. And I just want to give you a moment here. If you're not right with the Lord, if you haven't accepted him, if you don't know how much he loves you, this is a moment. If you want to make your relationships work better, Jesus in your heart would do that. Coming alive and growing, staying strong. Mm. So if you put a hand up, I want to pray with you. Every head bowed, every eye closed. What the Lord is doing. He loves you, cares about you. Amen. Amen. Will you stand up with me this morning? Whew. Let's just take a moment and put your hands up. just pray for the love of God to operate in this church. Come against every spirit of opposition. Every spirit that works against us. Mm. Father, we just thank you for your love. Greater love is none than this, that you're willing to lay your life down for your friends. Lord, we just receive your love. Let's just take a moment. Let's pray the love of God in our hearts, minds, our homes. I pray that over your people, Lord. I pray your love 
I pray every hidden thing, every spirit sent against us, every opposition, every hindrance, every lie, every insecurity. I just, I pray, go away. Exposed. I break the power of that thing. And I speak forth the love of God in his people. And I feel the peace of the Lord. I feel his peace. He wants to have breakthroughs in your homes more than you do. You know that? He's the author of peace, not the author of confusion. Amen. Boy, I feel the Lord's presence here. I want to just do one more thing, man. You know, that, that we, I'm telling you, what we need in America is not more church services. We need a revival. We need God to shake this nation. So let's just take a moment. Let's join with the multiplied millions of people in America who are praying. We're in a moment right now in this nation. So can we do that? Can we just pray for God to move across America? Or this is a burden that we have. And Lord, we say move in this nation supernaturally, sovereignly. Lord, by your hand. We want to make room for the Lord to do what he wants. We're asking you, God, to have mercy on our land. Even though we, we as a people have not sown godliness, we ask for mercy and that we receive grace and mercy your people. I pray over America, God. I pray, I pray for love to be in homes. I pray for families to be restored. I pray, Lord, the Spirit of God to sweep across this nation to awaken souls and hearts and minds. God, we just pray that in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. I just feel his presence here this morning. And I, I guess I'd just like to dismiss the service. If you've got to go get your kids or whatever, we, we love you. We'll catch you all here next week. Uh, I, I, I just like to keep that music going if you could. And I just want to spend some time myself up here just praying. Uh, I, I feel his presence. I feel his peace. I need wisdom sometimes, you know. So I'm just going to stay here. If you want prayer, come on down. If you want to pray with me, you're good to go. We'd love to have you. But I'd like to keep that music on. And I'd love to see you all Wednesday or next week. Man, we love you. God bless you.